Today we bring our series in the book of James to a conclusion. If you're visiting with us, we've been working our way through the book of James this summer uh, in a series entitled Gospel Wisdom. And we're going to be looking at just the final two verses, James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. They're found in the Pew Bible on page 952. It's also printed in your bulletin. If you have your own Bible with you, feel free to follow along in your own copy of God's Word. As you're turning there, let me remind you that James is a very practical book. It's full of wisdom. But the practical comes as a result of the gospel. In other words, the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is what motivates and enables us to live as James lays out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in this passage. With that in mind, let me pray and ask for the Lord's blessing and for his help. Gracious God, you told us that all Scripture is breathed out by you and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Lord, would you open our eyes to see wondrous things in this, your holy word. Speak, Lord, for your servants listen. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Here now the reading of God's word, James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. On June 23, 2018, a group of 12 young soccer players between the ages of 11 and 16 and their assistant coach entered the Sam Luong Nong Nan, a cave system in Chiang Rai province of northern Thailand. The boys and their coach decided to explore this cave after practice one day. And they ended up wandering around in this cave system. And by the end, were two and a half miles from the entrance to the cave. What seemed like an afternoon of fun turned disastrous when heavy rains led to flash flooding. Those floods prevented them from getting back to the entrance and left them stranded. The situation gained worldwide attention. News from all over the world was focused. What's going to happen? There was much speculation. Were the players and their coach alive? Would they be found? What happened? How did they get lost? Well, here in the closing verses of James, we find a discussion about wandering, but not wandering in a cave, but spiritual wandering from the truth. And these verses are a fascinating conclusion to the book of James, a letter written to churches spread across the known world because of persecution. It's not your typical ending for letters in the Bible. Think about the Apostle Paul and his letters, how they typically end with greetings. Greet so-and-so in the name of the Lord and with a benediction, a blessing from God. James is not like that. No, it's one more warning, one more command. And just like the boys on that soccer team and their coach, you and I are prone to wander. This wandering is extremely dangerous, as we'll see as we work through this passage. As we walk through 
these two verses, I want us to notice how James first lays out the danger of wandering and then how he emphasizes the love of bringing someone back. So first, the dangers of wandering. James begins, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. This phrase starts a sentence about bringing someone back, but we'll get to that in the second half of the sermon. For now, I want us to focus on this wandering. Notice that James begins this conclusion to his letter with his repeated phrase, my brothers. It's a gentle pastoral term that shows his deep care for the people to whom he's writing. He's showing them how important what he's talking about is. Hey, pay attention, my brothers, don't miss this. But he's not rebuking them, yelling at them. It's more a gentle, kind, loving way to draw them in to this last point he makes before he ends his letter. The use of the term, my brothers, also reminds us that James is writing to churches. He says, if anyone among you wanders, he's not talking about non-Christians who do non-Christian behaviors. We expect non-believers to act like non-believers. No, this is written to Christians, or at least those who profess to be followers of Christ. The point that James is making is that some in the church can wander from the truth. Well, what does he mean by the truth? Whatever he means, it's definite. Notice the use of the definite article, the, the truth. And this flies in the face of contemporary postmodernism that says there's no such thing as absolute truth. Our society promotes the truth as relative. So we end up with what's true for you is true for me, or what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me. I'll believe what I want, you believe what you want, and we'll go about our merry way. Friends, the Bible is clear. There is absolute truth. God and his word are unchanging truth. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The truth that James refers to here is God's word. It's right doctrine and right practice. James is concerned about some in the church who have wandered from correct beliefs about God and correct living as followers of Jesus. In other words, wandering from the truth is to veer into ungodly beliefs or ungodly practices. This might be someone who's led away by false teaching, or it could be someone who strays from God because of their own choices, maybe their own personal sin. Well, why is this such a big deal? You might be wondering, so what if I wander a little bit? I mean, God is patient and he loves me just the way I am, right? Well, yes, God loves you. But he loves you more than just loving you how you are. He doesn't want you to stay where you are. He loves you so much that he wants you to be conformed to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The danger with spiritual wandering is where it leads. In verse 20, James says that the one who brings them back will save his soul from death. Wandering away from God leads to death unless God intervenes. 
Think about the, the soccer players and their coach. What was the fear around the world? So they were dead. And the fear of wandering from the truth is that it leads to death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Eternal separation from God forever in hell. That's why wandering is such a big deal. Perhaps you're wondering, what does this wandering look like? James, unlike other sections of his letter, does not give specific, specific examples. But let's explore this for a minute. What might it look like to wander from the truth? Well, it could be straying into false beliefs, maybe about God. Maybe it's denying that Jesus really is the Son of God. Maybe it's rejecting the belief that Jesus is the only way, that all paths lead to God as long as you're genuine or sincere. It could be compromising the truths of the Bible on marriage or sexuality. Perhaps it's trying to add good works to Jesus' death in order to be saved. Wandering from the truth might also be falling into sin. It might be a spouse committing adultery. It might be addiction or substance abuse. Maybe it's regular exposure to ungodly content in movies or in books. I think there's another form of wandering that can be fairly prevalent in our society today, and that is falling out of being regularly involved in the life of the church. You know, we live in a very individualistic society, and oftentimes that bleeds over into our faith. You might find many so-called Christians who say, you know, I don't really need the church. It's just me and Jesus, baby. Maybe they will tell you that they're spiritual they believe in Jesus, but they don't have time for organized religion. I've heard it many times. Or it's people who are members of a church, maybe even this church, who for whatever reason have stopped coming. Perhaps COVID got them out of the habit of attending. Maybe travel sports for the kids tend to get in the way. My guess is some, and maybe in your own family, or people that you know fit this category. But John, not, not going to church, is, it's not that big of a deal, is it? I mean, don't be so legalistic, you might say. Friends, we don't want to call obedience to the Word of God legalism. It's called Christianity. It's called discipleship. Obedience to what God says is important for all of us. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus never promised to build individual Christians apart from the local church. The New Testament knows nothing of a Christianity apart from gathering together as believers. And if you're going to be a member of a church, part of that means being involved. It means coming. There's no such thing as a church member that doesn't come. The Westminster Confession of Faith, one of our governing documents, states that outside the church, there's no ordinary means of salvation. Not meaning that the church saves you, but that if you're a Christian, you want to have something to do with the church. Now, for some, health matters get in the way. There are some of our folks who are homebound. They can't come. That's different than folks who just say, I have no place for the church. 
Friends, people who have professed faith in the Lord Jesus have wandered in one way or another. Perhaps you wandered in a previous season of your life. Maybe you're kind of wandering right now and you're not even really sure why you're here today. Maybe you know and love someone who has wandered from the truth. You know, the scary thing about wandering is you can wander and not even realize it. You can lose the trail, so to speak, not realize you've gone off. Wandering is kind of like drifting. You always drift away and not towards. We always drift away from God and not towards him. If you think you're stagnant in your faith, let me challenge you that you're not. You're moving somewhere. You're either moving towards God or away from him. There's no in-between. Wandering from the truth is dangerous. Eternity is at stake. And this brings us to the other main point of our passage, the love of bringing back. You see, the most loving thing we can do for someone who has wandered from the truth is to bring them back. Let me reread our passage for us. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. My guess is that most of us, given the fact that we're here today in church, are not in danger of wandering from the truth. Now, we don't want to be naive. We want to certainly be on guard against that. That's part of why we gather, so that we don't wander And so the more direct application for most of us is the call to pursue those who have wandered away from the truth for whatever reason. It's the call to bring them back. James says that there is much blessing if someone has wandered and someone else goes and brings them back. Before we dive into what this looks like, I want to wrestle for just a moment with the question of why. Why would we pursue someone who wanders. Well, you could probably give several reasons. We love this person. We take the warnings in Scripture seriously. We want what's best for them, and and those are all valid. But I think there's an even deeper underlying reason why we will pursue someone who wanders away from the truth. And that's because God pursues us when we wander. Think of the story of Jonah Jonah is told to go and proclaim God's word to Nineveh, and he says, nope, I'm going the opposite direction to Tarshish. What does God do? Does God give up on him? Oh, sorry, Jonah. No, he pursues him. He sent a storm after him. Pursues him. Psalm 23, verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The word follow there is really better translated pursue. The goodness and mercy of God will pursue us all the days of our life. Like a wild animal tracks its prey and pursues it and hunts it down, so God Almighty pursues his chosen people to not let us wander away from him. Think about the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15. Jesus talks about a shepherd who's lost one of his sheep, and what does he do? He leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one. And so it is with God. He comes after the one who is lost. He pursues us. And one of the ways he pursues us is through other people. 
That's why we pursue those who have wandered away. And I mentioned earlier, we live in an individualistic society. And then because of that, we're scared to, quote, meddle in somebody else's life. Well, that's none of my business, what they do. I don't want to judge them. I, that, might be, uh, that might be gossip or hearsay. You know, it's not judging to enter into somebody's life and love them enough to speak the truth. It's kindness. And James is reminding us that we are called to lovingly pursue the wanderer, seek to bring him or her back. Notice that this isn't written to just pastors. It's not even just to elders. And while pastors and elders have the responsibility of spiritual oversight, it's not just up to us to pursue the wanderers. This is written to all believers. Every member of the church should pursue those who maybe are in danger of wandering away. And one of the ways we take care of the wanderer is by seeking to prevent him or her from ever wandering to begin with. A father once told a story to his son about a sheep who found a hole in the fence and got out and wandered away. The sheep was enjoying this experience, but got so far away they got lost. The dad then told his son about the wolf who came to attack the sheep and how the shepherd had to come and find that sheep and drive off the wolf and bring the sheep back. And at the end of telling his son all about this, the little boy just had one question. Dad, did they fix the hole in the fence? That's a smart boy. Friends, are we in the business of trying to fix the holes in the fence? Are we trying to prevent people in the life of the church from wandering away from God? I hope we are. Part of how we do this is pointing each other to Jesus on a regular basis. It's getting lunch or coffee with someone you love and really asking them questions. How are you doing? How is your faith? How can I pray for you? It's calling or texting a friend and telling them you've missed seeing them and you hope that you'll see them at church. It's reminding one another, hey, let's gather together so that we can hear God's word preached. Elders, it's checking in on the members in your district so that they don't escape through the hole in the fence. But what if someone does wander away? Perhaps we know that they're caught in sin and we think, what should we do? Well, Paul says in Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We're to pursue the wanderer with love and gentleness and seek to restore them. Jesus lays out in Matthew 18 what this looks like. Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, he says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. He listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This is known as church discipline. And many churches have left this in the past, thinking it's antiquated, it's unloving, but it is anything but. It is the most loving thing that we can do. If we really love someone who is a brother or sister in Christ, then we go after them. 
and not leave them to their own devices, but pursue them out of love. Now, does this person always want to come back? You go and say, hey, I haven't seen you in church, or hey, I, I hear you're living in sin. They're like, oh, yeah, you're so right. Me, no, they're going to be like, I don't want anything to do with you, or at least perhaps. It's like the person drowning, who someone comes to rescue them, and they fight against it because of the hysteria of the situation. Pastor Howard Hendricks tells a story of a young man who strayed from the Lord but was eventually brought back by a friend. The pastor asked this young man how it felt like when he was, at, was away from God. He said it seemed like he was out to sea in deep water, in deep trouble, and all his friends were on the shoreline hurling accusations at him about justice, penalty, and wrong. But this young man went on to say, but there was one Christian brother who actually swam out to get me and wouldn't let, would not let me go. I fought him, and he pushed aside my fighting, grasped me and put a life jacket around me, and took me to shore. By the grace of God, he was the reason I was restored. He would not let me go. Friends, that's what gospel love looks like. It's loving someone enough to tell them the truth and the danger that they are in. But it's not doing it from the safety of the shore and hurling things or judgmental accusations at them. No, it's entering into the mess of the ocean, of swimming out and saying, I'm here to help you. Let me listen. Let me actually care. And let me help you come back to the Lord. It's being persistent and not giving up. Who do you know who's wandered from the truth? Perhaps it's your child or grandchild who grew up in this church, but for whatever reason has wandered from their faith. Maybe it's a childhood friend or a neighbor or a coworker. Going after the one who is lost is scary. It's dangerous, but it's loving. When the boys and their coach from that soccer team were trapped in the cave system, thousands of people came from all over the world to help and try to rescue them. Navy SEALs from various countries came to try to dive into those caves to find them. On July 2nd, nine days after going missing, the boys and their coach were found alive. On July 6th, one of the divers lost their life as part of the rescue efforts. Finally, on July 9th and 10th, all of the players and the coach were brought out of the caves. All of them survived. The work of those divers was called heroic, and rightfully so. But how much more heroic are the efforts of individual Christians, ordinary people like you and me, who go and pursue the one who's wandered and bring them back? James tells us that the one who brings the wanderer back will save his soul from death. Does that mean it's going to actually convert that person? No, only God can do that. But God uses us to accomplish his good purposes. James then says that it will cover a multitude of sins. Does this human act of pursuing and bringing back cover sins? No, God alone does that. James is probably alluding to Proverbs ten twelve, which states, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. What James is saying is that God is the one who covers sin. He covers sin through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
Think of Psalm 32, 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. When we pursue the wanderer, we bring them back to the foot of the cross. We don't bring them back to ourselves. We don't even necessarily bring them back to the church, although that will come later. No, we bring them back to Jesus, the best place for anyone to ever be. Sometimes this pursuit is casual. Sometimes it's formal church discipline. might even be suspension from the Lord's table or excommunication from the church. But it's done in love so that the person might be restored to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who can you lovingly pursue that they might come back to the Lord? How might you take the first step? Begin by praying for that person. Maybe you send them a note or a text, just I'm thinking of you and praying for you. Maybe you invite them to lunch where you can talk, ask them how they're really doing. Missionary James King, James King tells a true story about an African woman in one of his churches who attended every service faithfully with her old raggy dog beside her. It wouldn't necessarily happen in our church. We wouldn't see a dog necessarily in the aisle, but Church there in Africa had happened every Sunday, every Wednesday. She sat on the outside seat, and the dog sat in the aisle beside her. Every time when the pastor gave the invitation, the lady got up and went forward to pray. The dog came and sat right beside her. Well, this woman's husband was a very cruel man who deeply resented her devotion to Christ. And one day he beat her so severely that she died. He went so far as to deny her a Christian funeral. After the woman's death and burial, only the man and the dog were left. But the guy noticed that every Wednesday about 7 o'clock, the dog disappeared for about two hours. Every Sunday in the morning, the dog disappeared for about the same amount of time. And then one Sunday, the man became so curious. He said, I'm going to follow this dog and see where the dog goes. So he does his best to keep up with the dog, and finally he sees that the dog goes to the church. The dog goes and sits in the same spot right where he used to sit beside the woman. When the pastor gave the invitation, the dog came and sat, same spot, the dog used to sit. The man was so touched in his spirit that he too went forward and gave his life to Christ. And now the dog comes to church with a new master. Friends, if God can use a dog to bring someone to faith in Jesus, think what he can do with you and me if we lovingly pursue the one who has wandered away. Perhaps God will use you to restore your child or your grandchild or your spouse or whomever it is. We're all prone to wander. None of us are better than another. But we must love each other enough to pursue those who wander. If God has done that for us, we can do it for others. Don't think it's not your place. It is. Lovingly pursue those who wander. And may God do great things in bringing them back to the Lord. Let us pray.